Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. So today, um, I just want to, I've got one goal, and my goal is this, is that if you are a believer in Jesus, and you have not yet followed him by faith in baptism, maybe for you, you're not sure if you're a believer in Jesus, and and you need like a, a marker that says, yes, I am a believer in Jesus, that marker is baptism. My goal today is that at the end of the service, I'm going to pray that you'd get up and you would join us in the waters of baptism. That's my goal. And so I'm going to talk about baptism. I'm I'm not going to talk about uh, like a denominational position on baptism, uh, about some sort of a uh, what these people think or what these people think. I just want to talk about what the Bible says baptism is. And, uh, and, th- and then I'm going to discuss some hesitations that we have for being baptized, some of the things that kind of make us press pause or, or put the brakes on, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I just believe, truly, as a believer in Jesus, uh, the, best, the best response you can do is a baptism, is jumping in the waters of baptism. So here's what the scripture says. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The angel of the Lord is telling Philip a very straightforward, simple instruction. This is not like a three-step instruction. There are not multiple parts to this instruction. It's just very simple. Go south on the road to Gaza. Can I tell you this, that in the kingdom of God, simple instructions produce profound results. Every time, simple instructions and simple obedience produces profound results. I think often we want God to give us some big task, some big monumental agenda. And the truth is, simple obedience always results in a profound response from God. Let me say it like this. If you would just do what is plain in Scripture, then God can reveal what might be more difficult in Scripture. It's just following the simple steps that, it, that it, there is there's results there. I'll see people often, they, they'll, they'll say, Pastor, um, I just, like for instance, in our culture, we, we have a culture that is just consumed with anxiety and stress and fear. We, we, we as a culture are, are just consumed with fear. And, 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 and praying for peace in your life is great, but... The Bible gives you clear instructions on how to find peace in your life. And it's not actually 
through prayer. And praying is good, but the way we find peace in our lives, the Bible says this, that he gives them perfect peace who set their minds on him because they trust in him. When, we, when, we're, fear, when we're fearful about, you know, what's the economy do, or what's this politician going to do, or, or what's China going to do, or what's my boss going to say, or all the things that we can be worried about, you will be anxious. You will have anxiety. But if you would follow a simple biblical step of saying, I'm going to choose to set my mind on God. I'm going to choose to, to focus on what he says. I'm going to choose to absorb his word. I'm telling you, the Bible promises from simple obedience, a profound result called perfect peace. And this, this goes on in many areas of our life. And baptism is, is one of these things that is just a simple response with a profound result. It, it goes on and it says this. So it's talking, it's saying Philip is going south from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it says, so he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. In, in many translations, it would say Candace. So if, if you're here today and your name is Candace, your name means queen of Ethiopia. Queen, I mean, we got, we, do we have any queens in the house? We, some, somebody's uh, in Spanish, a reina, right? Like, you're, you're a queen. And so uh, it, it says she was Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. This is a very interesting scripture. It's an Ethiopian traveling, it says carriage, but essentially we're talking about like a wagon. Like, like he, he's, he's taking the Oregon Trail to Jerusalem to go worship. That's a long way to go to church. I mean, so, some of us, we won't go half an hour. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, some of us, we, we, we're not going to go, uh, we're not going to go 15 minutes outside of our company. This guy traveled thousands of miles on a rough carriage or a rough chariot to go worship. And the Bible says that he's a very important official, so a high-level official, works directly with the queen of Ethiopia, and that he is a eunuch. What that means is, in, in that type of a culture, if, if you were an official that worked directly with one of the royal members of the family, a female, if you were a male and you worked directly with a female member of a royal family, <clears throat> they would make sure that you were a eunuch so that there would be no illegitimate children from the family. Let me, make, let me clarify. That means he's a steer, Okay. He's not a bull, he's a steer. Okay, that's, this, this is what's going on. And this is very common, this is not a slight on him. It came with prestige, but it meant sacrificing any lineage, okay? And what's so unique about this is this man is traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to go worship, but the Levitical law says that if you've been damaged in that way, on, you know, a male body's been damaged in that way, you cannot enter the temple. So this man is traveling thousands of miles just to go stand in the courtyard of the temple to worship God, to see what other people are experiencing and not being able to experience it himself. That's a lot of commitment. That's a lot of devotion to travel that far just to be able to stand close to the presence of God. And, and then I think another thing we can pull away from this is, 
is we can see that this man has a lot of devotion. He, large levels of devotion, traveling that far to go worship God, and, and, uh, and yet he is still not followed with full obedience. He's got a high level of devotion, but he still has areas of simple obedience to follow through. Can I say this, that just because you are devoted to God does not mean that you have obeyed God. Let me say it like this. Just because you go to church every week does not make you a Christian. Just, just because you stand in a garage does not make you a pickup truck. And, and this man had been, he'd been devoted to the things of God, and yet he had not been able, he had not fully followed the things of God. I would just say, what would happen in your family, in, in your life, if you decided, I, I'm no longer going to just be around the things of God, but I'm going to follow simple steps of obedience to see profound results in my life. And then it goes on, and it says this in, in verse 28, it says, and on his way, he was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah is such a great book of the Bible. It's, it's a wonderful book, very prophetic book of the Bible. I, I, I would encourage you to read it. A great book. And one of the things I like about Isaiah is, is what it means to us archaeologically. So if you didn't know this, the Bible is the most accurate archaeological resource in all of the world. Archaeologists from around the world will follow where Scripture says things are, names of places, names of people, events that happen, and they always discover that those things actually happened where the Bible says it happened. And it's funny because uh, scientists will say, oh, the Bible's not true because this, this isn't true. This never happened. And then when they go there, like the walls of Jericho, they go there and they actually dig where the Bible says Jericho was and they discover a city with walls that have, that have just fallen in on themselves because the Bible is a very accurate historical book. Like outside of religion, it is a accurate historical book. One of the things that's unique is like, like, it is easier to prove the existence of Jesus Christ than it is to prove the existence of William Shakespeare. You've got documents that you, you've been told are from William Shakespeare. You can go and see a house that you've been told is from William Shakespeare. But there is just massive mounds of evidence that Jesus Christ existed and that what the Bible says he did actually happened, including... Uh, uh, historians from his day, like a man named Josephus that, that describes Jesus like this. He says, he says, if he can even be called a man, because he was so miraculous, he was doing works and miracles, he's talking about a man that did all these miracles, if he can even be called a man. And that's not a believer. Josephus was not a believer in Jesus. So it's always, the Bible is always accurate history. Uh, archaeologically and his, uh, through history. And here's one of the things that happened in the, in the 19th century. So, uh, I, like in the 1900s, this guy, uh, a Bedouin, there were some Bedouin shepherds that were out in, uh, just west of the Dead Sea. Uh, and they were playing uh, with slings. So, 
Like, I grew up with a slingshot. My uncle was a welder, and he made me a slingshot. Uh, I think he actually made it for my sister, and I stole it, is what I'm pretty sure happened. And, but it was, it was like you pull it back, and you, you fling it like this. It had, uh, like, medical, surgical tubing, and you fling it. They were using slings, like a, an Eastern-style sling, so it's like this long um, rope with, a, with a, a satchel on the end, and you let go of one end of the rope, and it goes flying. And these, these boys were practicing throwing rocks at different things, you know how kids are, and they were trying to throw rocks into caves. And when one of them got the rock to go in the cave, they heard this shattering sound. So they climbed up in there as curious kids, and and when they looked inside this cave, they found all of these ancient vases that are tall. They're like this tall, filled to the brim with ancient scrolls. And as archaeologists heard about it and began to look in the area, they discovered thousands upon thousands of scrolls and parts of scrolls that are all connected to the Bible that you read. And here's what's so unique about it, because people will tell you, that, oh, the Bible's been in the hands of people. It has changed. It means something completely different than it meant then. No, no, no. Because when those kids found those scrolls, they discovered the remnants of what was called a, a group of people called the Qumran community. And these people in Qumran devoted their lives to recording the word of God over and over again. And when they recorded those scriptures and saved them so that the Romans wouldn't destroy them. They hid them. The words that they record the Bible said 2,000 years ago, it's like a time capsule. When you compare it to what we say the Bible says now, are identical. There are small variances, but, but insignificant variances. And right now you're like, ah, oh, I told you it was, there was variances. No, 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 no. Variances in this sense. Like, I'm Canadian when I choose to be. And, and in Canada, we spell the word color, C-O-L-O-U-R. And you spell the word color the way it's supposed to be, the way God intended. <laughs> but if I spell it my way or you spell it your way, it doesn't mean that the text is wrong. It doesn't mean, oh, the, the, the text is flawed. No, it means it's talking about a variance in the way things are spelled based on, like, different ways of spelling something. And so this is the type of error that is in the text. It's not like something was misaligned, something's way off. No, it's very accurate. And that's an incredible thing to know that the Bible you have is the exact same text that people 2,000 years ago hid in a cave. And when you go to Jerusalem with me, so we're going to do a trip at some point. It'll be fun. There's a museum. It's called the Museum of the Scroll. And when you go there, the, the, the museum looks from the outside, it looks like this big scroll. And when you go inside of it, it is, it is a museum built around the documents that were found in those caves. One of the most incredible documents they found in that cave is this. This is a... It's a glass display, it's a circular glass display case that's about 30 feet wide and circles all the way around. And this is actually a replica. The, the original scroll is, is actually in a room that's locked behind this, like an a air and water sealed room. But this is a replica down to like the millimeter, like identical to what is in the other room. And it is a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. Not like a fragment that looks like a pirate map. It's the 
whole book of Isaiah in one single scroll. And that's just absolutely incredible when you consider that it reads the exact same as your book of Isaiah. And so this guy, this eunuch, is he's in a chariot and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. It says this, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he says, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Anybody ever read the Bible and felt like that? <laughs> hey, we have an answer for that. We have classes. How can I, unless, I want, unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And that's a good strategy. If you're walking from Jerusalem to Gaza, like go talk to somebody that has a chariot and you know, build some camaraderie and get in their chariot. And so he gets in the chariot with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is a quote from Isaiah. He says, he was led like sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip says, hey, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Ah, like, like he's like, I mean, he just teed it up for me. Like, who's he talking about? Philip's like, oh, we're going to talk about Jesus because the, this prophecy in Isaiah, it is talking about Jesus who was led as a silent lamb to the shearer. Like, like he didn't fight the cross. He didn't push his way away from the cross. He willingly went to the cross. And, and then it goes on and it says that, that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. Listen, Jesus is good news. Jesus is not an archaic concept. He's not just some historical figure. He's, he is more than that. He is a, an event in history that is great news. And here's why it's great news. Because you and I were born with this propensity to sin. Some would call it a sin nature. Some would call it a, well, they might we would call it all kinds. I would say it's a nature. It's just the way we are. We're, we, we're born with this, this just innate ability to find ways to do things wrong. I mean, you didn't have to train your kid. Lie to me, son. Your son lied to you and looked you straight in the face when he did it. Like, you didn't have to teach your kids how to sneak out at night. They knew how to do it. We're born with, as people who sin. And, and here, we're not mistakers that mistake. We are sinners who sin. And what sin is, is, is any time we do something that falls short of God's best for our life or the perfection of God. Because God, by his very nature, ontologically, he is completely perfect, holy, other, and good. He's perfect in all of his ways. And, and the problem is, he's perfect and holy, and we constantly do things that are not perfect and not holy. 
And so it's not that God is saying, like, oh, she's such a terrible slouch. Like, she's a terrible person. Get her away from me. She stinks. Like, that's, that's not what's going on. What's going on is God is ultimately perfect and good in everything he does. And you and I, ultimately, at the end of the day, if we're honest with ourselves, we constantly fall short of the goodness we want to be. And in that very, that very essence, because of that, that separates us from a perfect and holy God who wants to be in relationship with us. And so people through, throughout time and history came up with ways to sort of solve this problem, to, set, to fill the gap between them and God. And cultures around the world began to do things like offering sacrifices. So they would offer a lamb. They would kill the lamb. And somehow that the idea was, because I am guilty and worthy of death, I will take out the punishment on the lamb. Or I will do this. And doesn't matter if it was North American culture or African culture or Asian culture or European culture. We all throughout history did the same sorts of things in an attempt to appease God. And God uses this same mechanism. He, he says, okay, so in the Old Testament, he says, okay, so if you've sinned a little bit, let's just take like a, a dove and, and you cut that dove. And that dove is going to represent like the little sin you did. And, and the blood from that dove is going to cover the sin that you committed. But you was really bad. So I need you. <laughs> I need you to, to kill a spotless lamb. You're going to kill the spotless lamb and its blood is going to take care of the really bad sin you did. So this is how people lived under this this constant state of, of wanting to approve, get the approval of God by covering their sins. And so you'd do really good, and then you'd, you'd sin, and you'd, you'd cover it with a, with a lamb. And we might say now, like, oh, that's superstitious, and that's silly. The truth is you and I still do the same thing. We've just enlightened ourselves. What we do now is when we sin really bad, what we do is we go to a nonprofit and give them money, or, or we go serve at a soup kitchen to somehow make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But the truth is, offering a lamb or doing something nice to make up for the bad you did doesn't ultimately deal with the sin. It just eases the guilt a little bit. It eases the shame a little bit, but it does not deal with the fact that we are sinners. If there was a scale... It, doesn't matter how generous of a businessman you are. It doesn't matter how uh, kind and, and thoughtful of a politician you are. Like you're the, the best among us. If somebody goes to fix your computer because your computer's having a malfunction, and when they go to fix your computer, they find pictures of children on it, no one's going to be like, oh, he was such a generous person. What we're going to say is the law needs to deal with that. Because we all know that no matter how good you are, it does not make up for the parts of us that fall short. And so God sees this, and God says, I'm going to fix this. And the very word of God that was breathed in creation says, I am going to show up as man. I will embody human flesh and show up, reveal myself among them, and I will, I will become the sacrifice. Because here's the deal. The Bible says that, 
that the life is in the blood, which means when you cut a turtle dove, there's a little bit of life in there. And it, it's, it's this idea that it covers a little bit of sin. If you, you cut a lamb, there's a lot of blood there, and it, it covers a, a little bit more sin, but, but it never seems to cover it all. But when you have an infinite God that says, I will reveal myself as the sacrifice, I will be the ultimate sacrifice, and we come back to the life is in the blood, but now the blood is infinite because we're talking about the God that spoke the word world into existence. He is the blood. So when he is the sacrifice on a cross for you and I, his sacrifice covers all the sins that you and I did yesterday, last year, long time ago when you lied to your mom. Like he covers all those sins. He covers all the sins you're doing right now in the church, the thoughts you're having that are drawing you away from God. And he's going to cover all the sins that you might commit next week or tonight or tomorrow or next year. He covers them all. Christ, this is what's so unique about Christianity. Christianity is the only religion that offers a solution to our sin problem. Every religion acknowledges it, but they don't offer a solution. What they offer is the, the ease of the guilt, the ease of the shame through devotion, through working hard, by being a better person, by being a good spouse. Christianity says the very God of heaven reveals himself as Jesus Christ and he covers all your sins. And that, my friends, is very good news. It's very good news. The Bible says this in Mark 16, 16, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Like, like there, it's, it's faith in the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us. It's not us saying, Jesus, I'm going to work really hard beside you. It's just faith in the faithfulness of Jesus that makes us saved. It's not your church attendance. It's not how nice you are. It's not how much you give during the legacy offering, although we want you to give during the legacy offering. Like, what makes you saved is the finished work of Jesus on a cross. That's good news. And it says this, and as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? That's a really interesting shift in the narrative. Because Philip was telling him about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how he died, was buried, and rose again. And the eunuch's response is, I want to take a dip in a pool. And the reason is because Scripture is very clear in the New Testament in several places, very clear that when we are baptized, it is us joining Christ, symbolically joining Christ in his death, his burial, going under the water, and his resurrection, coming back out of the water. And so in, in Philip's communication of the gospel, he's telling him that you can join this Jesus, like you can stand with this Jesus. You can be in solidarity with this Jesus in his death, burial, 
and resurrection. And that's just absolutely incredible. He, he doesn't wait. He, he doesn't, the eunuch, we don't have a story of, like, of the eunuch saying, okay, uh, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer. Uh, he, he, we don't have a story of, of the eunuch going to some sort of a baptismal class for three weeks to be able to be baptized. We don't have a story of the deacons of the church all voting on whether or not this eunuch is allowed to get baptized. What we see is he hears the gospel, he believes the gospel, he's baptized in water. He doesn't say, I, I want to wait until all my friends are around. He does not say, I need to wait until my mom is here and my grandma would love to be a part. No, no, no. He hears the gospel, he believes the gospel, he gets baptized. And it's good around here, most Sunday, most every service, we'll have a moment where we allow people to respond with a hand raise and praying a prayer of faith towards Jesus. It's good. Ethiopian eunuch doesn't go through that motion. His response is, I'm getting baptized. Because he heard the gospel, he believed the gospel, and he was baptized. If, if you are in the room today and you have heard the gospel and you believe the gospel, your next response is not join a team. It's not get in a small group. It's not tithe. It's not you know, bounce kids in the nursery. Your next response is baptism heard the gospel, you believe it, baptized. There's no other option in scripture. In fact, according to scripture, there's, there's plenty of moments where we see people doing the exact same thing in the book of Acts over and over again. They hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, baptized. So my question to you is the same as what the Ethiopian eunuch says. He says, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? My question is, what is standing in your way? What is preventing you from, your faith is in Jesus, you've, you've heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, what is stopping you from being baptized? I've got a good idea of some things that might be stopping you, so let's talk about them. The first is probably that it just doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me. And that would, that would be pretty understandable because we've got so many different denominations and churches that make it about so much more than it is. We make it about, I join this church, and then when I move out to a different town, they need to make me join this church, so I've got to get baptized in that church, and this church is for this. No, 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 no. Baptism is not about joining a church. It is about a response in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And well, we say, well, sometimes you baptize, you know, they sprinkle water on them or they do, they put them in, dunk them in water. What is it? In Greek, the word baptism is baptizo. And the word literally means to dunk or to submerge. Baptizo, to go completely underwater. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the metaphor or the symbolism here is you're dying, being buried, and you're rising again with Jesus. Because here's the deal. The gospel does not stop with Jesus paying the penalty for our sins. 
the gospel keeps going because he dies, he's buried, and he rises again, not just by himself, but with you and I. The gospel is that you can not just be forgiven of your sins, but you can live an overcoming life. You can walk with Jesus. You can talk with Jesus. You can, you can move through life with Jesus, Jesus, a resurrected person here and now. That's good news. So baptism, it's a picture of you dying to your old life, being raised into a new life. The Bible says it like this, if, if anybody be in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then the next, very next verse says, and all things are of God. It's about a new life. It's saying, I'm, I'm outwardly expressing what happened inside. It's like this. It's like some of you are married. Anybody got a wedding ring on? So I, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for... I, I, I said 18 years earlier, and I didn't get a shake. Yes, she said yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. I'll try to get the date, too. Um, but we didn't get wedding rings when we got married. We grew up in a church that was very religious um, and was against things like jewelry. Um, isn't that great? The church is against everything. And they're against jewelry, which, I, like, as a husband, I'm like, I, I could get down with that because that's... <laughs> That saves me some money. Well, we were honoring our parents, and so we just didn't do the, the jewelry thing. Um, and so we didn't do that. But we did get a tattoo, and, which is way worse. Like, you're going to hell for it. Like, oh, my God. Somebody's like, what? Like, if you got a problem with a tattoo, let me just say, you're, you're in the wrong church. Okay. So the Bible says that God has your name tattooed on his hands. So that he wouldn't forget. He says, even, even as much as like a mother would never forget her child, even God loves you, he, he remembers you even more than that. But even if he was to forget you, he tattooed you, your name on his hand so he'll never forget you. That's beautiful. But <clears throat> we went to a tattoo studio and, and they, we were going to get our, something on our ring fingers. And they, uh, they said, well, don't do that because there's this fat in your hand that... Uh, it will just make the ink bleed. And so it, you're going to have a, a year-old tattoo that's going to look like a 10-year-old tattoo because it just, it, the fat in your hand is different. Do it somewhere else. And so we said, okay. And so we got these matching uh, Roman numerals of our date on there. And I'm not saying you should go do that. That's weird. But, <laughs> now I can't, I can't hide this like, like a, maybe a tattoo. And, and we're actually, or a ring. We're actually getting rings for Christmas. So that's, we're pretty excited about that. That's 18 years. It's about time. But if I did have a ring, that ring isn't what makes me married, is it? No. Signing a paper for the government to be able to file my taxes differently does not make me married, does it? No. What makes me married is a covenant between myself, the other person, and God. That's what makes us married. Marriage is not a, a, a sociological, it's a, it's, a, it's a religious experience with God. That's what it is. And, and so in the same way, being baptized doesn't make me saved, but it's like a wedding ring. Like, like if, if I was married and had a wedding, like I am married, but if I had a wedding ring and every time I went to the gym, I like took that thing off and put it in the bag before I went out in the gym, you would think I have some problems, If, if, if every time 
your wife went to work. She took off that wedding ring and slid it in the drawer of her desk. You would have some questions. Because the ring doesn't make her married to you. But the ring is a symbol of the faithfulness of the union. That's what baptism is to the church. It's a symbol of the faithfulness of Jesus to the union. Okay, here we go. Uh, all right, here we go. Next one. I've already been baptized. If you were baptized and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you went under that water calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, then there's no reason you should be rebaptized. We believe it is sufficient. You're good. Because sometimes what happens is, like, I got baptized a year ago, but <sighs> that was a year ago. <laughs> and I've been really bad. And I was driving down Caldwell Boulevard, and someone cut me off, and I just put together a bunch of words like I was in the third grade again, just like trying to make a good string of cuss words. And, and, I, and I, I let her rip, and, and now I need to get rebaptized because there's so much wrong in my life. No, the grace of God is bigger than that. Grace of God is bigger than that. You're already his. He paid for your sins before, now, and in the future, including you saying a bunch of incoherent cuss words on Caldwell Boulevard. But if you got baptized and you didn't really know what was going on, for instance, you and all your siblings were getting baptized and you were just doing what everyone was doing, that's not faith in Christ. That's going along with the flow. Or perhaps, maybe for you, you, you were baptized as a child, like an infant. Maybe, maybe you were in, a, uh, in mass and they, and they sprinkled you with water. Or maybe it was like the ones on, on YouTube where they like take the child and they dunk it. Like, have you seen the guy, the guy who's like just dunking the child? It's like he's waterboarding a baby. <laughs> like, maybe that was you. Listen, if your parents had you baptized as a child, that is a profound thing. That's amazing. Absolutely incredible. But it is the faith of your parents. It, I mean, I think the most honorable thing we can do as parents is dedicate our children to the Lord. And that's what we believe they were doing. They were dedicating them. Here what we do is we bring the children up. We pray for them as a church, and we commission the parents to raise their children in a godly fashion. But, but if your parents baptized you as a child, you had no idea what was going on. And the Bible says those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Not those who were just, just babies. It's people who, by their own choice, believe. So truly the most honorable thing I believe you can do to honor the decision of your parents to be baptized is to seal that deal. Say, my mama believed and wanted me to live for God, and you know what? It's been 40 years, and I'm still living for God. I want to do what they wanted for me all those years ago, but I want it to be my choice. That's a powerful decision. As the band would come, maybe, maybe another reason that you would hesitate to be baptized is you would say something like, I, I need to pray about it. No, you don't. 
Simple obedience produces profound results. Stop spiritualizing procrastination. I just need to pray about it. No, you're being indecisive. If you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. There's something profound about baptism. It would be like me telling my son, he, he just turned 15 yesterday, and um, come on, you good-looking kid. Girls, he's taken by his mama. And um, if I told him, I was like, hey, bud, can you take out the trash? And he's like, well, Dad, let me pray about that. Let me think it over, Dad. I'd be like, I'm, I'm about to think over whether you can eat groceries and stay in my house, son. Like, think it over. No, take out the trash. Why? Because this is not something in Scripture It's like, this is when you believe the next step is baptism. This is, this is the very reason that Christians in China and Christians in the Middle East and Christians in Africa die for their faith. It's not because they're covertly believing in Jesus. It's because they get in the waters of baptism saying, my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And the people around them see that, and that's why they are murdered. Because there's something profound about saying, I'm not going to hide behind my faith. I'm going to stand in solidarity with believers and with Jesus from throughout the centuries. And I'm going to say, my faith is in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection alone. That's powerful powerful. Don't pray about it. Maybe for you, the reason you wouldn't get baptized, you're like, okay, preacher, I hear you. I get it. You preach about it. Super annoying. I might as well do it. But I did not come prepared. I did. I came prepared for you. I, I got you some hair gel, hairspray, hair dryers, combs, hair picks, brushes, bobby pins, hair, hair ties, scrunchies, deodorant, face cleaning pads, makeup remover, we got towels, we got trunks, we got black t-shirts, we got q-tips, we got whatever you need. Okay, that's cute, preacher, but my, my, uh, my family's not even here. We've got professional photographers taking pictures of you. And you can take those pictures and you can blast them all over Instagram and the whole world can be with you. So what does it look like if you were to get baptized? Here's what we're gonna do in just a few minutes. I'm gonna pray. And for those of you that were already planning on being baptized and for those of you that are here right now saying, I honestly need to finally do this. If that's you, I want you to stand up after I pray. Walk back here. Zach, would you raise your hand? Good-looking man right there. And Zach is, is going to lead you. He's going to escort you behind those doors. There are some restrooms that have changing room areas, you can uh, stalls you can change in, and close if you need them. You come out here. We'll be singing music. You get in the water. The water's 
fairly warm. It's, got, it's been treated with bromine. You're not going to get anything weird. It's clean. We're going to pray for you. We're going to speak life over you. There, there may be a prophetic word over you. And then we're going to bury you with Christ and raise you as a new person. And I'm telling you, the freedom you will experience in your life is like none you've ever experienced before. But preacher, you don't understand. Back to my family's not here right now. Can we plan this out in three weeks? At the end of your life, you will stand before God alone. You will not stand before God with your mom. Your aunts and uncles are not standing with you at the end of time. You will stand before God and give an account of your own life to God yourself. So why would you hesitate now to do alone what you will do alone then? Why put one more day of procrastination into what you will wish you had done then? Saying, I am all in with you, Jesus. I'm done wrestling with you. I'm in. Church, I'd ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray. When I'm done praying, if you would like to be baptized, I want you to stand up, walk back to those back doors, and we'll help you from there. Lord Jesus, we love you today. And we thank you that we don't have to climb the rungs of your approval like some sort of ladder of success. We don't have to chase and clamor after you, hoping that somehow you will smile upon us. You delivered yourself to the cross so that we can live an abundant, overflowing life. place all of our faith. Lord, we place all of our hope not in our own abilities but in that good news about Jesus that he died, was buried, rose again. All power in his hands. Church, say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day church. If you feel that God is calling you to baptism, I want you to stand up. I want you to go back to these back doors. We're going to respond to worship. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world. 